0: Welcome to the second episode of what we're calling the Extra Innings Podcast here at the Seattle Times. I'm Mariner's beat writer, Ryan Divish, your host of this little foray into baseball talk. Um, why Extra Innings? Well, I think we all know about my love for Extra inning games, and also because uh, a podcast to be named later was actually taken, so we went with Extra Innings. The music you heard coming into the show was by a band called Midnight Salvage Company out of Tacoma, a group of guys that are friends of mine, uh, the lead singer Brayson Alexander gave me the MP3s of a few songs to use as lead-in music because I don't really understand trademark laws or copyright infringement, and I didn't want to get in trouble. I like being employed, so we decided not to use any popular music uh, on that. So I guess if you have a band and you would like to have your bumper music played in on here, I'm more than willing to give it a shot. Just send me an mp3 and we'll we'll do that. Uh, let's get down to the, the show this week. Uh, this week's episode features two guests. The first one will be Larry Stone, the Hot Stone League, in a new segment we're calling Spelling with Stoney, uh, where I give him the names of a few players within the Mariners organization, and I ask him to spell them. And and. Then you know, basically it's just a way to mock Larry. But we also discuss a little bit about what the Mariners did at the winter meetings or more specifically what they didn't do. Um, and just a few thoughts on the, on the baseball market in general, closers and stuff like that, because Larry is a baseball guy. Our second guest is uh, associated beat writer, associated press writer, Tim Booth, who lives here in Seattle, works here in the, in the Seattle Bureau. He had his first Hall of Fame vote this year. And so I sat down and discussed with Tim what all went into it, the thinking behind his vote. We went over his ballot, which he's already published on Twitter. He did give a vote for Edgar Martinez, not surprisingly. But um, we talked with Tim about all that went into the Hall of Fame vote. We also talked about what it is to be an Associated Press writer in the area and what, is the, what uh, his job entails. And then you know, being me, being me, I also asked him about his two favorite things in the world, ellensburg washington where he's from and where he went to school and then also pearl jam so we get some restaurant reviews of scenic ellensburg if you're ever there and we also discuss tim's walk-up music in which pearl jam songs he would use and he also tells a story about me ditching him at a pearl jam concert in missoula one time post show so uh i really appreciate you guys tuning in and and here's this week's podcast <laughs> This is a new segment we are going to call Spelling with Stony," and basically what it is with now with baseball writers and, and the advent of word processing software and, and adding to dictionaries, basically what I do is take the 40-man roster, put it into a word document, and add all the names to my dictionary. So when the name Mark Zepchinski comes up, it automatically recognizes it. But Larry, being technologically unsound, I'm certain he doesn't do this. So I'm going to test his spelling skills each week. With a couple players, it could be Mariners, it could be Mariners prospects, it could be well, any players around baseball or historical ones, so here we go. Okay, Larry, and I, I expect you to act like those crazy random kids, the homeschool kids from the spelling bee, if you want to like make, you know, <laughs> do rocking things like Condota or anything like that, you're, you're more than welcome to. Okay, here we go. Larry, your first name is Archimedes Camanero. Do you want me to use it in a sentence? Yeah,
1: Uh, yeah. origin, please. Uh.
0: Yeah. Archimedes Camonero throws very hard, but very straight. And now he's going to Japan. Archimedes Uh. Camonero.
1: Well, first of all, I'm certifying that I am going to do this with integrity and honesty, and I'm not going to (laughs) immediately type it into my computer. I'm doing this off the top of my head. I'm not sure why I agreed to this, because there's (coughs) very little upside for me, other than looking stupid. Which I'm sure is upside for you, but not yes, for it's me. <laughs> brilliant, actually. All right, Jeez. Uh, R A R C H I M E D E S, and then last name C A M I N E R O. I know I botched the first name.
0: Yes, yes. Um, Archimedes Caminero is A R Q U I M E D E S, and you got Caminero right. C A M I N E R O So right. you were pretty close. I mean, you were thinking of the arch in St. Louis or your foot.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I I if I'd thought about it a little bit more, I would have realized it was a cute darn.
0: That's all right. I I I can tell you're really broken up about this. <laughs> I'm going to
1: okay. I'm going to run from the room sobbing into my yeah. mom's arms yeah. you now. <laughs>
0: There's nothing better than seeing kids get eliminated on the spelling bee, but that's me. I'm just the meanest person on the planet. So, okay. Um, and we'll go with the hard throwers edition of this. So your next one is Tiago Vieira. Tiago Vieira. Right. I'll use it in a sentence. Tiago Vieira is a prospect out of Brazil who also throws 103 miles an hour, but it doesn't go so straight, and he doesn't always know where it's going. Tiago Vieria.
1: Tiago Vieira. T y a g o, V i e r i a. Eh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got the first got, name right, though. No, you got the second name right. Oh. Tiago is T h y, a g o. I only missed by one. V i e i r a. I didn't get the second part right either. No. As a prospect from Brazil, do you know what language he speaks? That would be uh, Portuguese. Yes. Although his English is pretty good. I'm doing a story on him this week, so I talked to him not the following. You talked to him? Yeah. Yeah, he's a nice kid. Nice kid. He throws very hard from what everybody says. Uh, Speaking of hard throwers, we'll get you a couple thoughts on the Hot Stone League. What uh, what was your thought on all these closers over the winter meetings and beyond the money that they're getting?
1: well uh, it's pretty stunning. I mean, you know, ten years ago closers were not valued like they are today, but when you look at the you know the World Series and you see what uh, the short relievers mean for a team, uh, it's no wonder that uh, they're probably getting what they deserve considering their impact on the game, so I think that's probably. The way it's going to be now, it's uh, you're going to you're going to pay for a, for an elite closer like you pay almost for an elite starter. So,
0: don't um, don't you think? I mean, I, I know that the World Series kind of showcase what you can do with those guys, but you can't run it like that. For no, the whole no season.
1: No, th- that's for sure. You can't do what they did with Andrew Miller and spot him two three innings and every day. But but you should, certainly can do that for for a short series in, mm-hmm. when you get to the postseason. But I think. You know, I think uh, uh, Scott Service pointed this out when you you guys were talking to him at the winter meetings that it's just not feasible you you do, uh, to do that all season, or you'll you'll burn the guy out long before the the postseason. But you know, it's kind of risky too to put that kind of money in uh, in that those kind of years and closers when uh, not many closers have staying power as elite closers. Uh, I mean, uh, you just look the, the guys fade in, they fade out. Uh, and the, the, the Mariano Riveras and the Trevor Hoffmans, who were good for eight, nine, ten years, there's just not that many of them. So you may have a guy who's throwing 100 miles an hour now and is an elite closer. In three years, he may have burned out, and you're stuck with the, the rest of that contract. So uh, the, the, my, a better strategy might be to just try and piecemeal that from every couple of years with uh, with a, with somebody from the hard the, the next hard thrower from your organization like like a like a Diaz like the Mariners did they they've got him cheap for a few years
0: now yeah the mariners have a little experience with closers <laughs> flaming out after one year yes I mean, they do uh, it's, we'll, 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 that'll be a, a podcast from another day we'll run through all of them and and go through just the list of guys that were good for a little bit and flamed out but um yeah, I, it's it's weird. You you wonder if Jansen, because he throws that power cutter, may be more sustainable than Chapman's speed. You know, he doesn't have this. He has the velocity, but you know, in a way, Jansen's a lot like Rivera. It's one pitch, and yeah. he can throw it all the time. And you know, I maybe that's better in the long run.
1: Could be. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you'd think that when hitters know what's coming. That they would be able to figure it out and adjust to it, but it's just—I guess—I mean, Rivera's just was so devastating and in such movement, late movement that you could—you knew what it was going to do, and you still were kind of helpless to 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 do anything about it. And then I think it's, yeah, it's kind of the same with with Jansen. And uh, but someone like a like a Chapman was just pure power. I don't know, that might not, you, uh, that, that might not be sustainable.
0: So are they? Uh, do you have the? Cubs and Red Sox slotted into the World Series as we speak right now.
1: Probably not. Uh, what? Well, I probably it's just that the chalk doesn't always it doesn't always come through. I don't know I'll. I want to lo- see what it was
0: pretty I, chalky for the World Series champion this year. I think, yeah, wasn't it? it?
1: It was. That was a, that was more of a rarity, though. I mean, I want to see what all the teams do. There's some other pretty good pretty good ball clubs. I mean, I, the, the Dodgers. Uh, I'm not convinced on the the cubs starting pitching?
0: No, no, nor yeah, should they, I mean,
1: be. Yeah, so, you know, I'm not necessarily just going to rubber stamp them in there. Uh there's a couple other teams. I mean, those are probably the front runners for sure.
0: Besides the sale trade and and you know, and the White Sox selling off was the biggest surprise that Andrew McCutcheon is still part of the Pirates, your dream player, Is he <laughs> cuz he's still part of the Pirates.
1: Yeah, for now. Uh, I mean I think the Pirates probably wanted to get a Chris sale package for McCutcheon and teams just weren't willing to do that considering he's he's not as marketable as sale because he's uh, I think he's got more years left his or fewer years left on his deal uh, for more money and he's not in his prime like like uh, sale is he's he's coming off a bad year so I'm sure they were asking as you were saying on the podcast we were last week they were asking for uh, Diaz, uh, O'Neill, and what w- was one more prospect? One and, of the you know, pitchers. Those, one of the pitchers. Uh, yeah, yeah, one of the, uh, yeah, uh, um, uh, either uh, Walker or Paxton. I mean, that's just, as much as I love uh, Andrew McCutcheon and think he'd be perfect for the Mariners, uh, there's no way you'd make that deal. That's just too much to give up for him. So, if they were their mistake. I think the Pirates made a, kind of a tactical mistake in having it be so public. So now you have a superstar who knows that you were trying to get rid of rid of him. He'll be a little disgruntled because of that. It's kind of awkward, and you didn't get what you wanted for him. And now now he's yours, and you've got to deal with the aftermath of that. So. Um, it'd be interesting to see if he has a if he has a bounce back year or, or not, and if they actually keep him. I mean, it's a long time before opening day. Teams will get desperate. Maybe maybe either the Pirates will back off, or there'll be a team that decides that McCutcheon is the piece that's going to put them over the top. Maybe they want to look at him in spring training, and maybe in uh, the middle of March they'll they'll relent and give the deal the Pirates want.
0: Yeah, this whole situation is like having a girlfriend who decides she wants to go on a break, and she goes on Tinder and. And all these dating sites, and figures out she can't find any better, so she comes back to you. That's pretty much what it's like. Not that I'm speaking from. Sounds like from, you have experience. Yeah, that, <laughs> no, I don't want to talk about it, Larry. Um, uh, yeah. Other than that, any other stuff from the like? I know you followed it. What else did you think? Anything that surprised you at the winter meetings at all?
1: Let's see. Uh, not really, I've, guys. Have, I've got I've got soccer dancing around in my brain after. Don't
0: ever the, repeat that sentence, Larry. Yeah. Ever.
1: <laughs> After going to Toronto, covering that, doing the parade yesterday, it's like uh, uh, I sort of have momentary amnesia on what happened at the winter meetings a couple of weeks ago. So give, 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 me a, give me something that uh, I can respond to. Uh,
0: I don't really I didn't think. It would, I mean, maybe the most surprising thing for me was that the Mariners didn't make any major moves. But yeah, you know, Exa- but maybe uh, maybe they'll get surprise. somebody. I don't know. They got to get a pitcher.
1: Yeah, they need to get a pitcher. And I I think they may need to get an outfielder too. I just find it hard to believe that they're going to go in with the likes of Gamel
0: and uh Mitch Haniger.
1: Haniger and uh and Heredia and those, those guys with prominent roles. Um uh, I think they need one more established outfielder.
0: Hey, and, Mark and I still, Mark I, I, an established outfielder.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the uh that was the most bizarre rumor of the winter meetings and uh i don't you i don't think you ever gave it much credence and neither did i just there were so many things wrong with that starting with the fact that uh you know the uh he didn't seem to to be uh depoto didn't seem to be a big fan of his and uh I mean, they, it was a lot of money and
0: uh, you trade a guy you trade a guy a couple of times i mean what do you do? don't take it yeah. personally it's business. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, you know he's not athletic, which is what they were looking for—an athletic outfielder. So, uh, just didn't make any sense on a lot of levels. So, um, Trumbo hasn't signed yet, though, has he? No, he th- I think
0: yet. he'll end up with the Rockies.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Rockies are gearing up. They already—they got Desmond, uh, and they—I mean, if they get Trumbo, that lineup's going to be just about as good as any lineup in baseball with uh, you know Arenado and. Although that probably means they would trade cargo. I mean, there's a guy that uh, the Maybe. Mariners, they, they, you know, he's, It's been, that's about five years in a row now I thought that cargo would look good in a Yeah. So now he's down to, I think, the last year of his contract. Yeah, he'd have
0: looked a lot better four years ago than right yeah. now. That's for sure. Yeah.
1: And and it's really hard to judge those Colorado guys because yeah. of the course field factor. And uh, they're going to put up big numbers, but they're not necessarily going to translate and, uh, I mean, some guys are. I mean, like I think Arenado's legit, and I think Cargo was legit in his prime. I'm not so sure that now he's what he what he what he was when he was a 30 30 type guy. But I still think he he he'd be pretty. He'd look pretty good in the Mariner outfield.
0: <laughs> All right, I'll let you go now. Go uh, grab a Mariners media guy and start studying <laughs> up. You know. <laughs>
1: Don't they have a hard throwing prospect named John Smith that I can have to spell? <laughs>
0: I think his name is Matt Smith, actually.
1: <laughs> okay. All right, man. Thank All you right, very much. See ya. See ya.
0: Tim Booth of the Associated Press. Uh, Tim's a friend of mine. I've known him since I first moved out here, uh, and he's covering well. I guess basically all sports. Tim, first of all, I don't know if everybody kind of understands what you do being with the Associated Press. So why don't you explain it for a few minutes what you do?
2: Um, well, so I'm the I'm the essentially the national correspondent based here in Seattle. So my responsibility is that I have to cover uh, everything that goes on in. The Seattle market and kind of in the state of Washington. So, uh, while well, like in your case, you can focus just on the Mariners, uh, I have to worry about covering the Mariners and the Seahawks and the Huskies and the Sounders and the Cougars and maybe even Gonzaga. And every now and then, I'll I'll go down and help with events going on in, in Oregon, or I'll pop over to uh, to Idaho if if something big is going on, like with Boise State. So, um, it's you know, it would be cool to have a be in a position where. Ah, uh, there was only one team that I had to worry about covering, but uh, this way there's a lot of variety and a lot of opportunity to to do a little bit of of, of a lot and to know a little bit about what's going on with a lot of different uh, different teams around here.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say you know a lo- little bit about everything, but you don't know a lot about anything.
2: Yeah, that that that's the perfect way to put it. Like I'm I'm not <laughs> I'm not as uh, Entrenched in in Jerry Depoto's brain as as you are, but I at least kind of have a basic idea of, of of what's going on with with the M's and you know same with the same with the Seahawks. I'm not you know I'm not Bob Condota. No one ever should be or will be Bob Condota. But um, but you know I at least have a, a basic understanding of what's going on with with the Hawks and and you know same thing with the with the other teams in town. It's kind of like I have this I kind of have this this overarching view from from ten thousand feet where guys like yourself are, are dug in and, and doing the grunt work on a, on a day-to-day basis, I'm just more kind of like worrying about covering the games and, and watching what's going on from a little bit more of a broad perspective.
0: I think we both know that I'm truly dug in with the wrong team, that I prefer to be dug in with the Sounders or the Storm. You know, like <laughs> that's my true calling in life. But, um, so if you had to rank them in terms of what you like to cover or easiest to cover or best to cover, how would you rank them?
2: Uh, well, Sounders, of course, number one. Um, <laughs> no. uh, you know, I'm I'm a huge college football guy. So having Washington being relevant on the on the national scale for and and Wazoo for that matter uh, on a national scale is a lot of fun for me because I I love I love college football Saturdays. I think I think they're the coolest thing. Um, I know the NCAA is a completely corrupt organization, but uh, but college football itself. Um, for me, is, is probably the most fun I have covering, or what, what sport I, I have the most fun covering. The NFL is is so political, um, and it's so corporate that it, uh, some of the some of the enjoyment of that's kind of rubbed off over time. Um, you know the the I love baseball. I love baseball as a game, and I love baseball going to a game and sitting around with my 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 kid or or friends or whatever and having a beer and, and watching the game. But covering baseball and the amount of work that goes into that, uh, I have so much respect for guys like yourself and, and Bob Dutton and Greg Johns and everybody who does it on a day-to-day basis because it is like I'll cover five or six games on a homestand maybe and I'm completely exhausted. And while you guys are doing that and then turn around going out on a 10-game road trip right afterward, um, baseball is a really tough thing for a, for a journalist to cover and to do it the right way. And so I have I have a lot of respect for for you guys who, who do that on a on a daily basis. And soccer has got to be in there, too. I'm a, I'm a soccer fan and I I find enjoyment in in games that probably bore you to death. So um, so, so yeah, so so I'm I'm you know, so, soccer not something that I that I see as a like a, a chore or anything like that. I, I do enjoy covering soccer, so.
0: Yeah. You know, it's weird. I mean, I think for us, always a big thing is access. I mean, I've, like you, I've covered a lot of these things just because we started off as a general assignment guy. And, and it's, it's weird how the access varies. I think obviously baseball has the most, I don't know what soccer's like. NFL can be good and bad. Um, College football is obviously the toughest. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Romar. I mean, that's one that, Like, you know, you've been there when you've covered college basketball, though, when it's been good here. And that can be a lot of fun, too, because, you know, the games are quicker. You know, the only thing is sometimes late at night. But Romar lets all his guys talk and he's got all the stories and stuff that can be good as well.
2: Yeah, I'd I'd be I I should I, I was remiss in not mentioning basketball because I got my kind of the way I got started with AP was covering. Believe it or not, Seattle Storm games back in the day, but then that got me an opportunity to cover the Sonics, and so uh-huh. um, you know I was a Sonics guy for for their last three seasons here, and the, the, the covering basketball cover I miss covering the NBA because there's there's characters and you get great access like we were just as you were mentioning access like NBA access is amazing at least it was back in the day. Um, because you had all the, you had shoot around availability and you had pregame availability and then you'd get guys after the game. I mean, the, the, the opportunities to get to know players was really, really cool. Um, and then college basketball, like with college basketball is good, um, around here, it is, like you said, it's a lot of fun to cover because you've got, you have some people who, um, with the, with maybe some exceptions, like someone in Spokane, um, guys who, who get it and, and are willing to work with you and, um you know, make it an enjoyable experience to, to cover my, my favorite thing every year to cover. And I've been lucky that I've been able to do it. I think for five straight years now is to cover the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, um, basketball tournament. I, I love sitting there and watching, you know, what, six games over, over three days and, and just kind of soaking up being in that, in that environment and atmosphere. It's, it's, it's a lot of fun.
0: Okay. Two things that Tim really loves Ellensburg, his hometown, and then Pearl jam. Yeah. First of all, yeah. Tout Ellensburg. If somebody's going through Ellensburg for whatever reason, where should they stop and grab a beer? Where should they stop and eat at?
2: Okay. So if you're gonna grab a beer, you need to go either to the Tav or just up the street from the Tav, Iron Horse Brewing um now has a little tap room downtown. Actually they have a full restaurant in the back now. Um which unfortunately I haven't eaten at yet, but Either one of those places. The Tav is going to be like your widest variety of beer. You can get a pitcher of like PBR for like six bucks or something. Or you can, you know, get whatever craft microbrew you want, and they've got everything. and They have incredible bar food. Uh, if you're going to the if you're going to the Iron Horse Brewery or brew pub, um, they've got everything that the that the brewery is producing at that time on tap. Uh, they've got usually seasonal releases. They've got special releases. They've got just all sorts of stuff, and it's you know it comes right over from the from the from the brewery, which is about three miles away. Um, it's it's fantastic. Uh, as for food, if you're going through at breakfast time, and our our friend Alex Akita can can vouch for this, uh, the Yellow Church Cafe for breakfast is fantastic. Like they just <laughs> they just come up with like these really sort of like uh, sort of like down home dishes, like comfort food sort of sort of dishes, but they're really really good. If you need a burger at, you know, lunchtime, uh, there's nothing better than Campus Utotum, which is which is near near the university. Uh, and then, yeah, there's not really a good dinner place in Ellsworth. There's a new place called The Porch, which I, it's a steakhouse, which is supposed to be really good, but I've never eaten there. So, uh, <laughs> but yeah, the, so there, there's the there's the culinary experience. Oh, you know what? Actually, I got a dinner place, Wing Central. It's up by campus, huge beer selection. Uh, Curtis Crabtree lived there when he was... When he was going to school at Central it was like he'd only go to Wing Central. Um and they've they've got they've got good food as as well. So there there's your options for, for, for Ellensburg. And you're right, I do love my hometown.
0: Yeah, Tim Booth, member of the Ellensburg Chamber of Commerce, apparently. Um okay. And now <laughs> how many Pearl Jam shows have you been to?
2: I think this summer at Wrigley was eleven or is either eleven or twelve. Can't okay. remember. And you've and been you're... you've been with me for three or three. I think? Yeah. Three of them, yes, yeah. including
0: we watched Stephen Hauschka dance, which is one of the weirdest things I've ever seen. When yes. He was dancing along; that was awful. Um, With
2: him and him and Raul Labañez.
0: Yes. Um, so go ahead, tell them. I know you want to tell. You can tell the listeners how I ditched you in Missoula and made you walk after a <laughs> Pearl Jam show.
2: Okay, so you had one arm at the time, um, <laughs> yes. and I had gotten I had gotten floor seats to the show at. The Adam Center is that what it's called? Yes. Okay. The Adam Center on the campus of the University of Montana, and I I got these GA tickets, which were like they were like gold basically. And you had one arm, so you would you refused to go anywhere near the stage. You were like, no, nah, I gotta stay back at the stage because you just had sh- shoulder surgery. Um, and so we go to the show. You're like a ce- you are a celebrity in Missoula. I mean, it, it was unreal. Like. <laughs> Any, anywhere we went, any bar we went to, any drink we went to get during the concert, you knew somebody. And it was it was like you were like running for political office in Missoula. It was kind of scary, actually. Uh, so we go through the concert, and your buddy... Uh, God, what was his name? What was your George. George. George, yes. George, yeah. Yes. Had to drive you back to Haver after the show, which is what? Five hours from Missoula? Four, four hours?
0: Yeah, at night, about five hours. Yeah,
2: okay. And... I was staying on the other side of town, uh, and you're just like, yeah, we got to go find a taxi. And (laughs) what, there's maybe three taxis in Missoula? And this was before Uber had taken off? Yes,
0: yes.
2: (laughs) So, So I walk around downtown Missoula for probably 30 to 45 minutes, just completely failing at trying to find a taxi. and. So then I just started walking. And I started walking in the, you know, pulled up Google Maps on my phone and just started walking in the direction of my hotel. I ran into a couple of guys who were at the concert from South Dakota and they were kind of in the same boat. They were staying out, like, way out where I was. And they we just started walking together and talking and blah, blah. And we got, I think it was about five miles because I think our hotel was like seven miles away. We got about five miles and finally, like, we were able to flag down some some like 19 year old gal who was just getting off work and was willing to, to, uh, give all of us a ride to our hotel. And this was probably like, it was like one 30 or two in the morning at this point. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was, that was how I got back to my hotel after the, after the concert, because, uh, you wouldn't give me a ride, jerk. Uh,
0: no, nah, that was George's fault. George was driving. George is kind of a jerk. You met <laughs> him at the U.S. Open. We all know what kind of person he is. He's been my best friend for, since like I was fifth, like, kindergarten. So anybody who's been friends with me that long, probably going to be a jerk on some level.
2: That, that's uh, true. You're right.
0: <laughs> okay, quickly, which, because I know you're going Pearl Jam for your walk-up music. You got two choices. What two songs would you use for your walk-up music? Because I know you're going Pearl Jam.
2: Um, stayed Or Would and you Trust. go
0: Temple of the Dog?
2: Ooh, that's a good call, too. Um, no, I'd go, I'd go, state of Love and Trust, which is kind of, it's, that's kind of stealing it from John Boyle because that used to be his bumper music when he would do, uh, radio on KJR. Um, uh-huh. was, was state of Love by I, I really like that song. And, God, second one. Um, man, I don't know if I can come up with a second one. Uh, I don't know. That's a really good question. God, I, had someone, I had someone put me on the spot about this on the radio a few weeks ago, saying, "Give me your two best Pearl Jam songs." I was like, I, "I can't, I can't do it on the spot. Like, I, this takes some serious thought and, and contemplation on my part to, to come up with a good answer." I know "State of Love <laughs> and Trust" would be one of them.
0: I feel like that's gonna be like a, a an epic Tim Booth Facebook post. You know, you crank out you know like Jeff Baker blog link. That's gonna be you know going through the, what what Pearl Jam songs because it is hard. I mean, you know, because you like different Pearl Jam songs for different reasons. They're all I think the beginning of like Alive or Jeremy or something like that where they have that kind of little riff. That's good for walk up,
2: but you yeah, know, after doing right. the song, yeah, okay. that, yeah, those would, those would be. The, you're right. It is it is about kind of like the riff to open up the. To, yeah. to lead off the song to, to get into it. So, yeah, that's a good
0: point. Okay, we're going to get into it now. So, for people who don't know, Tim got to vote in the Hall of Fame for the first time. He, he got into the BBWA a year before me, so I get my vote next year, I believe. Uh, and this was his first time voting for the Hall of Fame. So... How nervous were you when you got the ballot? I mean, you, I know you've been thinking about it. You know, you've talked with me and Larry Stone about it. But how difficult was it when you were going through it? And how much, you know, I mean, I think people think that a lot of guys just check ten names and call it good, but it, there's more to it than that, isn't there?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I I took this really seriously um, because I think it's it, it's something that I've known as, like you said, been kind of coming down the coming down the pipe for a while that that this was going to happen. Um, and it, to me, it's a to me, it's a it's a big honor. And the, I, I feel like if you're if you're voting for something, whether it's like this year, I voted for AL Manager of the Year. If if you have the opportunity to do something like this, you need to put the the effort and the and the serious consideration into it. So, um, yeah, I mean, this was this was this was a this was a big deal for me. And uh, I I think the biggest thing with this year for me was. That I knew I was setting some sort of precedent. Like I've seen, I've seen on Twitter the last few days how Kirby Arnold, our friend Kirby, has been getting just blasted by some people because he decided this year not to vote for Kurt Schilling, and mm-hmm. his justification is totally, totally reasonable. But I knew that going into this first year that okay people are going to look at this and people are, go- are, are going to want to know why I voted a, a certain way and I need to be able to back that up. I need to be able mm-hmm. to say this; these are the reasons why I decided to vote for some people or I've decided not to vote for some people. Um, and so I think to me, that's what took the longest was kind of coming up with what my, I guess, compass in a way was mm-hmm. for deciding how I was going to approach this. How do I approach the guys who were um, under PED sus- suspicion? How do I approach the guys who were known... To be ped violators um how do i approach guys who are specialists you know all those sort of sort of things that that are presented to you on the ballot um i felt like i needed to have reasoning and and justification for why i was i was leaning a certain way so um it's it's been a lot of days like when i first got the ballot i thought okay i'll, I'll spend maybe a day day and a half really researching this um and as of us talking right now i still haven't actually made the check marks I've decided I finally decided on my 10 I was I was stuck on number 10 for quite a while but um, but I still haven't actually done, done the check marks and and signed my name to it uh, because it was only this morning that I sort of finally made that final decision on on who my number 10, 10 guy was going to be and that was after talking to some people in baseball and and getting some opinions on 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 what they thought um, so it, it, it's it's been a <laughs> It's been a much longer process than I than I thought it was going to be uh, for the first time.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing. I think you, for the, for the most part, you kind of know whose resume is Hall of Fame worthy. It's just whether or not you know you believe that they belong in, and it, the philosophy of your vote is important. I mean, because be, people vote differently. You know. Um, all right, let's so let's go through it a little bit here. Uh, you you want to go through it and kind of give sure. up your ten names?
2: Sure. Sure. Uh, so, I kind of I kind of broke it down like. There were guys who were obvious to me right away, and then there mm-hmm. was guys that I kind of needed to research out more. So the four that were the four that I that I was yes right away were um, Jeff Bagwell, Trevor Hoffman, uh, Yvonne Rodriguez, and everybody's favorite Edgar Martinez. Um, mm-hmm. To me, those those were the four most obvious on the ballot that I didn't even need to you know question. Like you know Bagwell was great, and Pudge is maybe the best combination of an offensive and defensive catcher we'll ever see. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, Hoffman was, other than Mariano Rivera, is the best closer ever. And mm-hmm. Edgar Edgar's the best right-handed hitter I've ever seen. And if you're going, if and we're at this point of baseball where specialization is is now becoming recognized. And if we're someday going to recognize David Ortiz and put him in the Hall of Fame, which he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame, that, and as a DH, then you've got to put Edgar in there first. That's my that's my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. So those were the, those were the four that that came um, right away for me. Um, and then it was the other six that I had to do uh, had to research on and, and kind of find where I was on on my you know my morality sort of pulpit of you know guys like mm-hmm. Bonds and Clemens and, and Manny Ramirez and those guys that were under you know, suspicion for so long. So, um, so those were the, those were the first four. And then, uh, and then the next two I added were, were Bonds and Clemens. Um, Mm -hmm. I kind of, I kind of came around to the decision that to me, their careers were good enough, even before all the PED suspicion really came down on them in the two thousands, that, that late nineties, two thousands, that they were that they were worthy of, of being in the Hall of Fame. I, I I don't think and and the other thing with them is that they never got busted under what the what the rules were at the time. There you know, mm-hmm. we know there's there's mountains of evidence that they were PED users. We we know this. But they were never found guilty under the rules of the time. And so I think at that point I think you you let you acknowledge you acknowledge the the, the error that they played in the time they played in and what the accomplishments that they had. Um, so that got me to six, and then from there I had like six guys for for four spots, and that, that that's what kind of took me forever was was deciding on the on the last four. Um, so the the kind of the, the, the next two I added were Mike Mussina and Kurt Schilling, um, mm-hmm. and ultimately it came down to I couldn't separate the two, and as much as Kurt Schilling has done his part as a person since playing baseball to alienate everybody it seems like um, his numbers are to me they're Hall of Fame worthy and and I was I was surprised about how similar his numbers were to Mucina's because my in my mind Mucina was a Hall of famer uh, from from the get-go but I needed to research it out more and as I did you look at whip you look at era you look at strikeouts you look at all these all these metrics war, um, all all these numbers they were so strikingly similar. Really, the only difference was Musina had a lot more wins, and Schilling was a lot better in the postseason. That I mean, that that's really the only differences between the two. They're actually really remarkably similar in terms of their career numbers. Um, yeah, I mean, so,
0: and, and people reference the wins, and then but I thought we got past that. Wins don't mean as much anymore. Exactly. Oh, you know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird, like for for the Cy Young. You 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 take wins out of the equation, but then you get the Hall of Fame, and everybody's referencing the wins. That makes no I, sense to me.
2: I mean, absolutely, you know. absolutely. I mean, we're we're gonna have this conversation, you know, ten, fifteen years from now about Felix Hernandez potentially. Like yeah. if he if he can if he can write his career and get back to being what what he was, you know, a few years ago or somewhere close to that, he's gonna have a resume that you're gonna look at the metrics, especially the advanced metrics, and be like, damn, like this guy needs to be seriously considered, even though he might have. 193 wins, or whatever it might end up yeah. being, that that he has for his career. So, um, so those guys, those guys, I ultimately couldn't separate. Um, the next guy after that was Tim Raines, and mm-hmm. and he almost kind of fell into that no brainer category, mm-hmm. but, uh, but to me, he's the best leadoff hitter ever, not named Ricky Henderson. Yeah. And what he like, he was just his, he he was just a presence on on the field that you had to pay attention to. And no matter no matter where he was playing, who he was playing for, you had to pay attention to who Tim Raines was because he could very easily cause a lot of havoc offensively and defensively. He was very good in the outfield. Mm-hmm. Um, so he became. So those two became, or those three became what uh, seven, eight, and nine, and then the last one took me forever, and I went back and forth for. For basically three days between Larry Walker and Vladimir Guerrero, mm-hmm. and the thing that surprised me was looking at Larry Walker's numbers and taking away the element of Coors Field, and that and I and not not discrediting what he did at home, but the fact that he was a really good player in Montreal, that he was a really good player for most of his career on the road, um, and that you couldn't necessarily punish him for playing at Coors Field the same way you shouldn't punish someone who played for the Yankees at a time when right field at Yankee Stadium was 310 feet or 315 feet or whatever it is. There's, there's, there's certain elements that I don't think you can necessarily punish someone for that's you know relatively out of their control. Um, but ultimately, I just, and this is what I finally decided this morning, that my 10th vote was going to go to Vlad. And Vlad was just... Like he was, he was among the most fun players to watch, and I think it was just because, like, it, it's the it's the saying of like you know you go up there as a kid and it's like swing hard at the ball, and then as you get older you realize you can't swing hard at every pitch. Like guys are going to throw curveballs that you just have to like try and make contact with and fight it off and and live to see another pitch. Vlad swung hard at everything. Like he <laughs> he he completely lived. The the what you're told as a as a 12 year old in little league to go up there and swing hard, that was him at the plate all the time, and then you look at his numbers and it's like oh in a in a 16 or 18 year career he had uh, he had two seasons where he hit under 300, and those two seasons he hit 290 and 295. I mean it wasn't it, it that, that's that's pretty amazing for a guy who who had that sort of approach at the plate um, to to put up those type of of consistent numbers for average. Um, And then while he, while defensively, I think you could say Larry Walker was a better overall defensive outfielder than Vlad was. um, You didn't screw with Vlad on a, on a ball hit to hit to right field, especially early in his career. I mean, the arm that he had was, was amazing.
0: I mean, those, those, those two guys had the two of the greatest arms from the outfield in baseball. And it's, and, and you know, I mean, you know like being growing up around here I and mean, your your opinion is different too cuz you saw Vlad play so much and and he, and he played well against the mariners let's not kid ourselves he, <laughs> yeah. he played really well against the mariners so i mean i i you know i look at the ballot and i don't think that you know it, the people that spend a lot of time criticizing ballots would have a lot of complaints I mean you you know you took into account the, the specialization factor with Edgar and Hoffman you you know you looked at the 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 idea of what a lot of people are doing with the PED guys that you know nobody really knows who was and who wasn't I mean you know there may be a lot of circumstantial evidence but they never tested positive and, the, and that was part of the game at that time you know if you're just going by what they did on the field without any positive tests I think that's it's pretty fair
2: um yeah, the one the one guy that I, I mean Manny Ramirez from a number standpoint deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Like, yeah. like he had 555 homers, like he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. But the thing that I couldn't get past at least this first time, and maybe made my opinion will change over, over time. And he's got plenty of time still to have opportunities to get into the Hall. But um, he he twice he twice was found guilty knowing what the rules were. It wasn't yeah. it, you know it, it wasn't like like Bonds and Clemens they were never found guilty at a time under the rules that they played under at the time. Yeah. Manny knew what the rules were and he was and he was found guilty twice. And for whatever Manny being reason, Manny. Exactly and for whatever reason he did it whether it was to prolong his career or or whatever it was he knew what the rules were and he twice broke them. And for mm-hmm. me that's that's a separation between him and between Bonds and Clemens and all these other guys that are under the under the cloud of suspicion is okay you were found guilty you knew what the rules were that's that's different for me and so that that's why I didn't vote for Manny this time and like I said might change in the future i might be like you know what he he deserves an opportunity, you know he deserves to be recognized for, for what he did and his transgressions weren't as egregious or, or whatever but that's that's a conversation for the future for me now he doesn't get my vote. Oh, yeah. All
0: right. I think it's a pretty good ballot. All right, let's get to the Mariners really quick. Um, other than that, uh, just, you know, you cover them enough to know, uh, what'd you think of this last year with service and, and DePoto? Um,
2: well, I thought it was, uh, I thought it was better than expected, you know, with that much change and, and bringing in the kind of philosophies they brought in and trying to get guys to have to buy into that right away. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think all things considered, 86 wins and being in contention to the next to last day was pretty good. Um, when, and then you throw in on top of that, you know, a, a starting staff that was kind of a zoo for, for part of the year and, <laughs> and uh, you know, the issues they had, whether it was, you know, defensively in the outfield or offensively with their with their corner out, but you know, whatever it was that they had going on. Um, you know, I think you have to look at 86 wins as a pretty good, Foundation to potentially build off of, um, so you know, I, I hate the naysayers who were like, "Oh, it was another lost season because of they didn't make the playoffs." Well, I think you got to take a, a broader approach to it and be like, "Look, th- this team was a mess at the end of the 2015 season. I mean, you're having to fire your manager, you're fi- you already fired your GM. You're going to have this massive, massive changeover. Um, to be able to do what they did in one year was pretty impressive, and so." Now you have that foundation established. Now you're making the tweaks to it that you need to. And now it's, okay, now the, now it's what can you do now? What can you do to, to find yourselves, you know, catching Texas or catching Houston in, in the West and, and being in contention and, and not having to go into the final day trying to get the second wild card, but maybe going into the final day, you know, playing for home field advantage or something like that.
0: So you're going to get to go to spring training?
2: I hope so, man. This my this this should be my year. I was actually just trying to figure that out. The last couple of days was was when, if I were if I'm going and when I would be going. So um, with the with the World Baseball Classic, it kind of messes things up because the the sweet spot for me to potentially go, uh, most of those guys are going to be off with their various countries at that mm-hmm. point. So um, so it might have to be either a really early trip, or it might have to be a really late trip. Um, which I'm kind of leaning more toward the late trip because at that point it'll probably be um, in the '80s in Phoenix, and you're going to be in a really crabby mood. Um, so it'll be a lot of it'll be a lot of fun to be around. you.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right. Well, um, I appreciate you coming on and sharing your ballot. Uh, I'm interested to see. You know, I, I you know you followed as well as I do. I, I think Edgar's going to get up to about 50% this year, which would be huge. With two years left after this year, you know, I think it'll be big, but. You know it's it'll be interesting to see if that all goes down. I do think the Mariners have really made a push this year. I mean, they do every year, but I think they've made a push to really try and get people aware, and you've seen some changes as well from other voters
2: yeah i i think I think at this point, I mean, what was he the other day? He was you know the the um ballot tracker had him I think at like sixty three or sixty two percent i mean mm-hmm. at at this point if if he can hold somewhere around fifty five by the time it's all by the time all the ballots are in, I mean he's got to be that that's that's a really really good sign about what might happen um, over the next years because the the future ballot isn't this year's ballot's a lot stronger than than what's coming up in a couple of years. There's a, there's a there's a few obvious guys, but um, you know if people are taking this you know seriously. Like one of my things is I think if you have ten votes you vote for ten guys, yeah. and so. Um, if everyone, if, not everyone, but if, if a lot of people are taking that approach, um, I think he's got a really good shot over the next two years if he can get, you know, to the, like you said, to that 50% benchmark and maybe even a little bit higher this year.
0: Well, you know the voting group is getting younger and better looking with guys like me and you
2: being added to it so it'll be it'll be important I'm amazed you even added me to that to that comment I I, I really appreciate that it,
0: it, it hurt but I'm sure all right it. man I appreciate you coming on and and we'll you'll be back on again at some point and you'll you, I need you to go try these other places in Ellensburg so big all thanks right. to Tim booth so that wraps up this week's podcast uh, I know there were some technical go- technical difficulties with my microphone and Tim's microphone with an echo. We'll try and get that figured out in the next few days. Thanks for listening.